Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode, episode 19 of the Strange Catholics podcast. We'll cover Catholic news as we usually do. And this episode segment is going to be on the Holy Rosary, as this is the month of the Rosary. Our saint today that we will cover is St. Teresa of Avila. Now to start with opening prayer, let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us so that the words we speak may be yours. We ask you to open the hearts, make them soft, so that they may receive your Spirit. They may receive what you want to speak to them. Lord, we ask you to bless this time, make it fruitful. Let it help to build up the kingdom of God here on earth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now for Catholic News, we'll turn it over to Bob. Hello, everyone. Hello, brothers. Thanks again for joining us on Podcast 19. So let's talk Catholic News. Just a couple quick things this week. I know it's been, what, about... Has it been 10 days, eight, nine days since we had our last podcast, something like that? Um, so a couple quick things. Obviously, everyone knows the election's going on. We're just, we talked about that a lot. We're not going to wade into that too much, but uh, let's talk about the pandemic and, and the rise in, in infections and the reinstitution of these these types of measures to uh, to stop the spread, which would be shutting down different gatherings and stuff like that, and how it's affecting the church. Uh, there was this, another story from New York, and I think, I think I talked about this last time because New York is getting hit again. They're putting all these different uh, restrictions in. They're they're categorizing zones by, I believe, red, orange, and green or something like that the church is pushing back and and you know rightfully so because i think that the church um the the new york catholic conference is saying you know we're following science nobody's getting sick here where there's no or there's no super spreader events in church right this is a really important place that people should be at especially during this time of need and they're following the science we know this from a fact um when we go to mass, right, we wear masks, we, we social distance, you know, we may not sing. There's, there's other things that we do. So the New York state Catholic conference is, is really pushing back on, on the state and the governor saying, Hey, we're following the science. We want to be able to have people in our sanctuary and allow them to worship. 
The problem is that even if uh, a church is <clears throat> within a, excuse me, a zone of that's considered red, that means they can only have 10 people at mass. Can you imagine that in an inner city, New York, uh, a large Catholic church, 10 people at mass? That's absurd. Yes, it is. I absurd. couldn't yeah. agree more. Okay. And then if, and then if it's uh, orange, it's 25 and this goes by zip code. So, so the church continues to push back saying that they're following the CDC guidelines. I don't think they're getting very far so far, but it's good to see us pushing back because at some point we need to come to some balance here. We've been talking about this for months and months and months. The pandemic's a horrible thing. It's killing many people. It's affected all of us in one way, shape or form, right? Either us, you know, we've gotten sick family members have gotten sick, friends, whatever it is. Um, and this is horrible, right? We should pray for this to, to, to end soon. But it shouldn't stop us from getting to Mass and receiving the Eucharist. So, so that's the first story for today. I'm, it's good. That's kind of a good news story to see the, the churches pushing back on this type of thing, especially in New York, where they've done a lot of draconian measures. The second thing I want to bring up is... Uh, about the Supreme Court. So uh, the Supreme Court is has agreed to hear, bring up the case real quick here. It's a, it's a case on immigration. The Supreme Court is going to hear a case on uh, the, uh, whether the Trump administration is, was authorized to divert money to build the wall. Obviously, the wall is a huge political slogan for President Trump and his reelection and Republicans, many of them generally, um, and the Democrats are totally against it and, you know, and this type of thing. Well, just to give you a, a Catholic perspective on it, um, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is opposed, was opposed to the president's declaration of national emergency to free up that additional funding to construct the barrier along parts of the border. So just to give you what the Catholic side of that is. So um, immigration is really a hot button subject for us as Catholics. It's a, it's a big deal, especially illegal immigration in this country. I know both of the, both of my brothers out there have their own views on this or have views on it that they wish to express. So I'm going to step back and let them talk a little bit about immigration and the wall and kind of where they see some of that my wisdom yeah because i know so much about this yeah uh i mean i guess i don't uh i don't know enough about the specific case that you're bringing up but speaking just generally about the wall and what uh the church has what our usccb has stated that when we're building a wall then we're restricting people that are trying to come here in good faith to seek asylum to um be able to benefit from the great opportunities that we have in this country. I would say a lot of that has to do with our very broken immigration system. And so uh, I think the wall is, um, it's, it speaks loudly to our very broken immigration system. Cause I think if it was reformed and fixed, the wall wouldn't even be needed. But I also understand and recognize that the Vatican has walls. Countries have walls, right, to protect things. 
We put walls in our house. We do things to protect ourselves. And sometimes it can be a rash judgment that this wall will fix everything, which it won't. But it can at least help to stem a tide of problems because I do know people that live on border or near border towns, and there are significant problems coming over the border. I've also heard similar stories from people who live near border towns, and it is unfortunate that um, those events are happening in these folks' lives. Um, my take, my two cents on that is um, going, kind of going back to faith. When we trust in God, God provides all. God is the giver of all good things. We are blessed to be in a country where we are showered uh, with liberties and freedoms, and so people desire that. To block that access, for me, and I'm just speaking for myself here, I think it's reprehensible. I, I just think that, and that's an oversimplification, okay, but the... Um, I guess I, I would be concerned about the word protection in regards to what the wall is protecting us from, right? I think we, we need to define that better. So I, I'm so this this Supreme Court case is in reference to whether or not money could be diverted to build the wall because basically Congress would not appropriate the funds, which is their role to build this. So the executive branch says, that's okay. I'm going to go take the money out of somewhere else out of the military budget, for example, to go ahead and build this wall. And then it's also the other part, which said that asylum seekers must stay in Mexico and cannot stay in the United States until they're hearing, which maybe is not a bad thing. So that's what the Supreme court's going to hear. I think when we talk broader about immigration, you know, we have to split it into illegal, legal and illegal immigration, first of all. And when we're talking about illegal immigration and the wall, you know, we have to discuss what it is it's protecting us from and whether or not it really is, that is really the mechanism that would protect us from illegal immigration. I think we can all be in agreement that in a country of 340 million, we can't have open borders to have a country of 500 million. At some point, that wouldn't work. It wouldn't work for any country. So countries are sovereign, and, and they need to and they need to maintain their borders. Um, you know. That being said, I, I just get a little uncomfortable with the word protection because I'm not sure what that means. I think to some that means that there are those majority of those people that are coming are bad people. And I'm not saying that's what you were using it as, but that is what that is used as in the lexicon of the of the promotion of border policy. That's just from people that I know in El Paso that work in border enforcement. That the majority of the people who are coming across the border are bad. Nope, but that the wall helps to make their job easier so that they can be more diligent in how they're doing their job. 
so it helps protect them because they were being attacked even more frequently. Well, I'm not sure what some, you know, group of uh, you know Central American family who's fleeing, uh, you know, an El Salvadoran civil war, who's just coming across, trying to sneak across the border illegally and should be, if caught, deported. I'm in favor of that. But those I, those people are not the people are, they're speaking of protection. It's the people that are being violent when they're being discovered. Those are the people that they the wall has helped at least slow or mitigate some of the entry. Those people that were more aggressive, <clears throat> that were more violent. So it's helped in some ways. Um, now, again, they just from hills opposite the wall, they'll just shoot from there, too. But um, in, in well, areas I, where they have greater cover, it's helped them. And, and that's fine. Let's just be clear that there has been no new sections of wall built. There have been none. Okay. We already had a wall. So we've been basically reinforcing or redoing some of the existing wall. You know, so it's not like we didn't have a wall before. Yeah, this okay. is the wall that was already there is what I'm speaking of. Yeah. And, and you know. I think the unfortunate part of this discussion is what you're referring to, Phil, and what those who want the wall from a political perspective are two different things. You're talking about protection from violence, whether it's people firing from the other side of the border or people that are trying to do violent things, uh, whether they're drug cartels or something else, right? And others believe that if we just build a wall in the in the desert of Arizona, it's just going to stop all these people from illegally immigrating, which we know from history that doesn't, I mean, it makes it harder, right? But I just think the question would be, could we devote resources to more effective techniques? Let's say like elect more electronic monitoring, more border patrol people, things like that. I know this is getting way off topic for the church, but, uh, um, this just shows how complicated this issue is. Oh, absolutely. You know? It's kind of a tangled web. Absolutely. And, and the unfortunate part of this whole thing is, I mean, in all of our communities, whether it's here in, in Ver, suburban Virginia or in the rural parts of Minnesota, where the, where you gentlemen are at, we all deal with a lot of immigrants, right? There are lots of immigrants. And to Correct. be quite honest, there's some of the most wonderful people on the face of the earth, hardworking individuals. And for the most part, right? They're they're just like anyone else, and um, you know, they're just trying. As as Terry said, you know, they're just trying to give their family, uh, you know, the best shot at success they can. So so this is what this is the human face on it that the church has to deal with. That that makes it much more complicated when it, when it gets involved with the politics and, and all the other stuff. So, well, let's move on. Okay. So the last thing I'm going to cover real quick is, um, there was a, uh, there was a poll that came out and this, is, I just found this to be really interesting. The, the name of the poll says that the, the title of the poll is young adults more, more likely than older Catholics to accept all of the church's teachings. Now they don't define what all is, I mean, maybe all means everything, but it was an interesting poll done by this Real Clear Opinion Research and EWTN. Um, 
where they took a segment of likely voters and it said that 25% of 18 to 34 year olds uh, accept everything the church teaches compared with only 21% of those ages 35 to 54 and 16% of those 55 and older. We would think that that would be inverted the other way. I wouldn't. Poor, cate- poor catechesis is, is, it has, I would say, been turned around radically in the last 10 or 15 years, even 20 years. Catechesis has gotten a lot better in many ways in the last 20 years. I think in pockets, in areas it has, but across the board, no. Well, I do think that there's more, there are more churches taking more opportunities, number one, for evangelization, reaching out to people. Um, And I also do believe that there are, you know, for example, at my church, um, doing a faith formation program beyond confirmation was, you know, prior to, say, you know, the early to mid-2000s was absolutely unheard of. And now it, it, I'm hearing more and more of that kind of program taking place in churches and more opportunities for extended education, you know, churches doing, uh, bringing in speakers, doing seminars, that sort of thing, uh, where I don't know how much of that was r- really going on prior to let's say 2000 so i so i'll so i let me back up i agree completely with both of you that there's a lot more options now in continuing catholic education especially at the adult level than there ever was before because before it was what was catholic uh, adult catholic education was rcia which was just a bogus thing to say that because that's not you know that's not for a cradle catholic that's not for already established catholics that that's that's its own sits by itself so i think that there are a lot of those things as terry said as phil as phil as you said that are out there right what i find interesting is that over 55 it shows that even less of them agree i'm not sure that people over 55 or people over 65 had worse catechesis than than people let's say in our age group are people in our age group and i, I guess we're all i'm almost 55 and terry's of 55 ish and uh you know that age group you know probably the you know whose uh, parents were baby boomers well i'm all we're almost baby boomers mm-hmm. um that we we probably fall into that category but older folks know what i would say is there are more options, but there's less people going to them. Okay. There's less people going because there's less people going to church across the board. And yeah. that statistic yeah. is, okay. is pretty glaring. Well, and I think also you're dealing, you know, once you get a little bit beyond our age category, you're dealing with those folks that were in the pre-Vatican II church and are now in the post-Vatican II church. So I think there's... Uh, a slight difference there that maybe with those older folks, um, you know, back in the day, pre-Vatican II, you had the Baltimore Catechism. It was really just kind of, uh, from my understanding, from my older brothers who went through it, it was really kind of just drilled into your head. Um, and post-Vatican II, I think that's that's changed. 
So I, it's, it's hopeful, right? It's a sign of hope that 18 to 34 year olds are, are more amenable to church teachings. That's a great thing. So, so it's a positive thing to see that you would hope you'd see it across all age groups. I was just a little bit surprised by some of that. Maybe the, you know, guys aren't as surprised. Um, the problem is, though, the the sample, you know, the group of 1834s that are that are going to mass is really a small segment and, and it, it continues to be a small segment. So uh, it's a, I guess the question is how we expand out and, and, you know, get more people involved, you know. So I just found those numbers to be interesting. There were other another other information in that poll and people can seek it out on the Catholic news agency. So. That's it's nice to have. It, it's nice to have a message of hope. Amen. So that's all I have. I ran way too long. I'm considering after the mockery during this to just totally cancel this segment in the future <laughs> and not Done. do it. Done. Canceled. Okay. We won't do it again. That's fine. So we can just give Phil both segments. Let's move into the Holy Rosary. Yay! And there was much rejoicing. There was much rejoicing. So October is the Feast of the Holy Rosary, which is awesome in its many ways because it draws us in and we have many different feasts and special days in the month of October that draw us into this beautiful prayer, the Holy Rosary. For those that don't know what this is or have not prayed it, we will include some links to rosaryarmy.com that will walk you through how to pray the rosary. They do a beautiful job of hosting rosaries on their YouTube channel and guiding people both how to pray them and how to make an all-twine knotted rosary. When I, even before I was becoming Catholic, I had heard maybe people mention the rosary in RCIA or whatever, but I had no idea how to pray it whatsoever. But when I discovered the richness and the beauty in this prayer, then I was all in. And so not every day since I've become Catholic, but a lot of the days and we pray as a family together. And then I pray individually, um, you know, just that. So to sum it up, the rosary is really it's that meditation on the life of Christ and our blessed mother. Jesus gave us our blessed mother at the cross. And so we meet her at the cross and a number of the mysteries and we really travel through Christ's life. It's a beautiful way to draw closer to our Lord and to dive into these scripture passages that are punctuated points of Christ's life and our blessed mothers. So there are four different mysteries now. Uh, prior to 2002, there was just the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, and they were put together or formed in that order. The Luminous Mysteries were added in 2002 by Pope St. John Paul II. He had this beautiful devotion to Our Lady, to the Rosary. He prayed many a day, and he thought that adding in the Luminous Mysteries was a way to help us dive even more deeper into Christ's ministerial life, what he did, what he's given us, how he's shown us how to live and be Christ in the world. 
the rosary has been around roughly a lot of these dates get a little i will ascribe to the fact that it is saint dominic that was given the rosary there are other people that would contest to that but i'm going to go with that the reason why the rosary is on beads today is because a lot of times the monks would pray the rosary or sorry they would pray 150 psalms and a lot of the laity couldn't afford the Psalter to pray those 150 Psalms, and not a lot of them could even read. So in a, a way to try and pray unce- you know, unceasingly like the monks are doing, they would pray, uh, it was called the Pater Noster, which is the Latin for Our Father. So they would pray the Our Father 150 times throughout the day. Uh, they would call it the poor man's breviary. And it kind of formed out of this. Then the Marian devotion came in and we get um, the angel Gabriel's words. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. That's from Luke chapter one, verse 28. And then we dive into it. We hear Elizabeth's response, right? So all of what we're praying is something scriptural. It's helping us dive into the life of Christ. And there is amazing peace. If you can, if you've never prayed the rosary and you have no idea how to do it, click on the link to rosaryarmy.com. See how it's done. You don't need anything in your hands, but the beads are helpful. By the word, by the way, the bead the for that word is prayer, so it helps guide our prayer. The rosary is not the only prayer on beads. Many the, uh, Eastern Catholics have their tchotchkes where they'll pray their Jesus prayer. And many other faiths also use something similar because it helps us so that we're not focusing on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten for each decade. We're instead just holding those beads, maybe rubbing them, whatever you want to do, meditating on whatever that mystery is. So for today, today we pray the sorrowful mysteries. The first sorrowful mystery is the agony in the garden. So as you're praying those ten Hail Marys, it's not just a vain prayer, you're really meditating on what Christ went through, how he asked for that cup to be passed, and how he said, but your will, not mine, be done. And it's a beautiful way to dive into each one of these mysteries. Gentlemen, any initial thoughts on the rosary before I go into some other quotes that I have? For me, as a Catholic, a cradle Catholic, um, I've, it's been really impressed upon me the importance of the rosary. I had a wonderful, wonderful Irish grandmother who had a very deep, deep devotion to the Blessed Virgin. And when grandma wasn't cooking, she always had a rosary in her hand, always. And so from that, I've gotten a great appreciation, a a, a great devotion to the Holy Rosary. And uh, I think for me personally, in my opinion, it is one of the greatest weapons of prayer that we as Catholics can have in our prayer arsenal to be able to pick up those rosaries and pray it by yourself, pray it as you walk, pray it as a couple, Pray it as a family. Pray unceasingly. Just pray. That's what I have. 
Amen, brother. Thank you. I think the rosary is wonderful. I wish I would do it more. I find it seems to be more popular with women. Um, and non-religious, right? Um, I, I just find that from what I've seen. Um, and, and I do think it's, it's wonderful and it's very, um, you know, it's a wonderful organized way of prayer. And uh, I think uh, the, the thing that strikes me the most is when you do, uh, um, you know, when somebody dies and you go to the funeral home and you do the, you know, do the rosary and stuff like that. It's just, it's a, it's a very special time. So it's something that's unique that we do that, that's, uh, that's very special. So I wanted to go into why I want to talk a little bit. This is a great quote. The rosary is an echo of the prayer of Mary, her perennial magnificat for the work of the redemptive incarnation, which began in her virginal womb. With the rosary, the Christian people sits at the school of Mary and is led to contemplate the beauty on the face of Christ and to experience the depths of his love. Through the rosary, the faithful receive abundant grace as though from the very hands of the mother of the Redeemer. So that's from Rosarium Virginis Mariae. That's from Saint Pope St. John Paul II. And Father Gabriel Walsh included that in his little snippet of talking about the month of the rosary and the importance of praying the rosary. October 7th is the Memorial of Our Lady of the Rosary. That's uh, also used to be called Our Lady of Victory. On that day is when the Battle of Lepanto, an outmanned naval fleet, was facing uh, the Muslims trying to attack, and everyone stopped to pray the rosary, and they were victorious. So that is October 7th. And October 13th, we have Our Lady of Fatima. That's when the miracle of the sun occurred in 1917. Tens of thousands of people witnessed the miracle, and our lady's message at Fatima was to pray the rosary and to do penance. What a, an amazing message for us, especially in our day-to-day. -day. We can find many opportunities of penance all over the place, so it's just taking that time to stop and pray. I'm, typical rosary, maybe la I'm okay if there's some interruptions with some kids or whatever. M might be 30 minutes, but it's usually... 20 minutes you know 25 minutes so i mean this isn't like an an hour-long prayer this is something and if you just start with a decade it's a couple minutes and we're from there you don't need to start with the whole thing but the thing is to just get started i have one more quote from venerable archbishop fulton sheen that i wanted to mention because i've agreed i really love archbishop fulton sheen the rosary is the book of the blind where souls see and enact the greatest drama of love the world has ever known. It is the book of the simple, which initiates them into mysteries and knowledge more satisfying than the education of other men. It is the book of the aged, whose eyes close upon the shadow of this world and open the substance of the next. The power of the rosary is beyond description. Pray the rosary. It's a beautiful, peaceful prayer. I can't emphatically say it enough. If you've never prayed it, again, 
how to pray it will be in the link. It is a simple prayer, but it can truly transform your life. I will just add one thing here. So there was a vlogger um, that posted a video to YouTube talking about uh, a recent, and I'm saying probably sometime midsummer, June, July, uh, group of people that were ready to attack a Catholic church out in California. They they were they were right there. They were you know coming on to the, these guys, and there were nine men, including the vlogger, that basically stood ready to defend their church. And Bishop Robert Barron came out and stood between the the two groups, held up his rosary, and began praying the rosary. And that attack stopped. Beautiful story. Thank you, Terry. Love it. Love it. We're not- Word on fire. Amen. Bishop is welcome to join us anytime. <laughs> Open invitation. We we will no. gladly we will gladly have him on the podcast. Just call our you press agent, on, right? That's search fine. on Apple Podcasts for Strange Catholics. <laughs> like podcasts came up come up like word on fire. So we're kind of in the same, <laughs> same <laughs> There you same go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. So um, we're going to take a short break, and and after this, we'll be back with the Saint Spotlight. We'll be back right after this, and we're back. All right, thanks, guys. Saint Teresa of Avila, what an amazing saint! Her feast day is October fifteenth. She is the patron saint of headache sufferers and Spanish Catholic writers. Teresa of Avila was born Teresa Sanchez de Cepada. Ahumada, also called St. Teresa of Jesus. She was born March 28, 1515, the third child of a family descended from Jewish merchants who had converted to Christianity during the reign of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. Her father, Alphonsus, became an ardent Catholic with a collection of spiritual books of the type his daughter would later compose herself. Less than 20 years before Teresa was born, Columbus opened up the Western Hemisphere to European colonization. And two years after she was born, Luther started the Protestant Reformation. Out of all of this change came the lovely Teresa pointing the way from an outer turmoil to an inner peace. Teresa's father was rigidly pious and honest, and but may have carried his strictness to extremes. Teresa's mother loved romance novels, but because her husband objected to these fanciful books, she hid the books from him. This put Teresa in the middle, especially since she liked the romance books herself. Her father told her never to lie, but her mother also told her, do not tell dad. Later, she had said she was always afraid that no matter what she did, she was going to do everything wrong. When she was seven years old, she she convinced her older brother that they should go off to the land of the Moors and beg them out of love for God to cut off their heads. They got as far as the road from the city before an uncle found them and brought them back. Teresa and her brother, Rodrigo did not play the same games as the other children played. Instead, they preferred to go to the garden and read. 
They were most interested in reading the Bible and stories of lives of the saints. They were most fascinated by the stories of the saints. The idea of sainthood fascinated them. To them, it seemed that the saints would be in the presence of God forever. In their childlike way, they would run around the garden chanting forever, forever, forever. When Teresa was 11 years old, her mother died, leaving Teresa grief-stricken. This prompted her to embrace a deeper devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary as her spiritual mother. Teresa was also enamored uh, of popular fiction, which at the time consisted primarily of medieval tales of knighthood and works about fashion, gardens, and flowers. Teresa was convinced that she was a horrible sinner. As a teenager, she only cared about boys, clothes, flirting, and rebelling. When she was 16, her father decided she was out of control and sent her to a convent there in Avila. At first, she hated it, but eventually she began to enjoy it, partly because of her growing love for God and partly because the convent was a lot less strict than her dad was. Still, when the time came for her to choose between marriage and religious life, she had a tough time making the decision. She watched a difficult marriage ruin her mother. On the other hand, being a nun didn't seem like much fun. When she finally chose religious life, she did so because she thought it was the only safe place for someone as prone to sin as she was. Within two years of her entrance into the convent, her health collapsed and she was an invalid for three years, during which time she developed a love for mental prayer. After her recovery, however, she stopped praying. She continued for 15 years in a state divided between worldly and divine spirit until in 1955 she underwent a religious awakening. Around the age of 40, a priest convinced her to go back to prayer, but she still found it difficult. I was more anxious for the hour of prayer to be over than I was to remain there. I don't know what heavy penance I would not have gladly undertaken rather than to practice prayer. She was distracted often. This intellect is so wild that it doesn't seem to be anything else than a frantic madman no one else can tie down, Teresa once wrote. She sympathizes with those who have a difficult time in prayer. She says, all the trials we endure cannot be compared to these interior battles. Yet her experience gives us wonderful descriptions of mental prayer. She writes, for mental prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. The important thing is not to think much, but to love much. And so do that which best stirs you to love. Love is not great delight, but desire to please God in everything. In 1558, Teresa began to consider the restoration of the Carmelite life to its original observance of austerity which had relaxed in the 14th and 15th centuries. Her reform required utter withdrawal so that nuns could meditate on divine law and through a prayerful life of penance 
exercise what she termed our vocation of reparation for the sins of humankind. In 1562, Pope Pius IV's authorization, with his authorization, she opened the first convent, St. Joseph's, of the Carmelite Reform. A storm of hostility came from municipal and religious personages, especially because the convent existed without endowment, but she staunchly insisted on poverty and subsistence only through public alms. John Baptist Rossi, the Carmelite prior general from Rome, went to Avila in 1567 and approved the reform, directing Teresa to find more converts and to establish more monasteries. In the same year, while at the Medina del Campo in Spain, she met a young Carmelite priest who later became known as St. John of the Cross, the poet and mystic who she realized could initiate the Carmelite reform for men. A year later, John of the Cross opened the first monastery of the primitive rule at Durello, Spain. Together, Teresa and John formed the order of Discalced Carmelites. Ultimately, there was peace between the old order of Carmelites and now the new order. At 51, she felt it was time to spread her reform movement. She braved burning sun, ice and snow, thieves and rat infested inns to find, to found rather more convents. But those obstacles were easy rather compared to what she faced from her brothers and sisters in the religious life. She was called a restless, disobedient gag about who had gone about teaching as though she were some professor by the papal nuncio. When her former convent voted her as prioress, the leader of the Carmelite order excommunicated all of the nuns. Teresa's health failed her for the last time while she was traveling through Salamanca in 1582. She accepted her dramatic final illness as God's chosen means of calling her into his presence forever. She stated, O my Lord and my spouse, the desired hour is now come, she stated. The hour is at last come, wherein I shall pass out of this exile, and my soul shall enjoy in thy company what it hath so earnestly longed for. Teresa of Avila died on October 15th, 1582. She was canonized on March 22nd, 1622, along with three of her greatest contemporaries, St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Francis of Xavier, and St. Philip Neri. In 1970, the church gave her the title she had long held in the popular mind, Doctor of the Church. She and St. Catherine of Siena were the first women so honored by Pope St. Paul VI. As she herself admitted, sometimes she felt like a lion, at other times like an ant. And gentlemen, that is the amazing St. Teresa of Avila. Beautiful saint. Thank you, Terry. You're welcome. So although I have not read the interior castle completely, there's just this one vision or portion of it that I recall 
from memory, and that would be getting to those most interior or those highest mansions required frequent reception of the sacraments, allowing God's grace to kind of wash over us and being devoted to him alone, right? We're striving to that always, right? We're striving to be ever closer to him. And I think in her, the, her interior castle book, she's drawing out kind of almost like walking. I know these are inner rooms or inner mansions, but really like walking up steps, they provide practical ways to get ever closer to God. So I really appreciate her writing, her reform, um, her realistic life. She, she was a real person, right? Yeah. And she talks about that. And that, that I think also helps all of us sinners realize that we can all strive for even greater things, being inspired by great, you know, doctors of the church, like St. Teresa of Avila. I agree with all that. Quite an interesting human being, um, very, very human in the description. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. That brings us to the end of our show. I'm sure some of you are saying thank you for that. <laughs> I know I might be. Um, so thanks again for joining us. Please, 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 please. Um, leave us a, a message and you can do that through a lot of different means. You can do it through the podcast uh, provider that you found us, whether it's Apple podcast, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. We have some other ways that you can do this anchor. Um, and then we have a, a Gmail address that uh, uh, Phil will give here in a minute, but please leave us a message. Also, please rate us, rate us five stars. Cause we, we're trying to do five-star quality, even if we're not, make us feel like we are, and that would be great. Uh, that'll allow other people to find us so we can increase to more than like 40 people who are subscribing. Anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and strange Catholics pod at gmail.com. Thanks, Bob. Okay. So we've, we've come to the end time for uh, prayer intentions and closing prayer. We did not receive any prayer intentions from the field. We do have some, that we're going to cover, but we didn't receive any extra ones. Um, and I'm going to do closing prayer. So if we're ready to do that, let's go ahead and move forward with that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Great and glorious God. Thank you once again for this opportunity to gather in your name. Thank you so much for being here and being present during this discussion with my two brothers and the rest of the podcast community. As we go forward tonight and into the next week, please watch over the following. Pray for the protection of life from conception to natural death. Pray for all those who are and watch over all those who are pregnant or are trying to become pregnant. Please allow for a free and fair election and allow people to go to the polls and exercise their right as such. And that our and that the nobility of our elected leaders and, and the the honesty and so on. And for those affected by COVID-19, physically, mentally, and spiritually, and financially. 
please bring them bring them uh, healing. So we ask all these, we lift up all these things and we ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And until next week, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day. And may God bless you.